This is Campus on the Common, a podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. I'm Emerson College alumnus and podcasting professor Chance Dorland. Broadcasting from Emerson College's School of Communication in Boston, Massachusetts, Campus on the Common provides an expert view into the field of media and communication through the lens of academic experts and industry professionals from Emerson and beyond. Exploring ideas like multimedia storytelling, media ethics, and how new technologies affect the communication industry. On our inaugural episode, today we begin a three-part series on Reclaiming Conversation, a text chosen for first-year School of Communication students to better help them transition from high school to Emerson College. We begin at the very top with what may end up being my best interview of the entire show with SOC Dean Raul Rice. I'm the Dean of the School of Communication at Emerson College. I'm a former journalist. I'm originally from Brazil. I worked as a journalist both in Brazil and the U.S., mostly covering science in the environment, health issues, but I also covered politics, sports, so I have a wide background and a variety of media, television, radio, newspapers, magazines. And I, um, I became a professor of journalism first and then mass communication or communication ethics uh, reporting, multimedia reporting. And I was chair, a department chair at California State University, Long Beach. I was the dean of the School of Communication at Florida International University in Miami. I was there for about four and a half, five years came to Boston about two and a half years ago to be the dean of the School of Communication here at Emerson, and here I am. We're talking about reclaiming conversation right now. That's a term that likely, if you just hear that in a vacuum, it's going to mean very different things to to different people. But here at Emerson College, it's a very, very specific term. What are they talking about here when we say reclaiming conversation? Reclaiming conversation uh, basically is part of the first-year initiative that we have here at the School of Communication. Uh, We started to do this first-year initiative last year. Uh, We adopted a different book last year, a book that was more about history and politics and current affairs uh, called On Tyranny by Timothy Snyder, a, a Yale uh, historian. And then when it was time to choose the book for this year, for this year's project, uh, I came upon this book called Re- Reclaiming Conversation, uh, The Power of Talk in a Digital Age by Sherry Turkle, who is a psychologist and a researcher here at MIT in Boston. I was fascinated by the book. Uh, we can talk more later about the book and some of the themes of the book. So I came in as I dean in, uh, in 2016, and we were having some conversations about uh, kind of building more of a sense of cohort, more of a sense of belonging, uh, more of a sense of community in the School of Communication among the students, especially. And uh, so the idea came up that we 
did some kind of a first-year experience that unified all the freshmen plus the transfer students who are coming to Emerson for the first time so that they start their careers at Emerson with a sense that they belong to a group, they belong to a cohort, and they belong to a community. So that's what we did in 2017 with the other book. And 2018, uh, we are trying to continue this tradition uh, so the basic the basic principle or the basic reason for having the the initiative is really to guide the students in this kind of sense of making this transition from high school to college to a new city to a new college to a new school, feeling like they are interacting with each other, they are interacting with us, the faculty, and we are building more of this sense of community in the School of Communication. As someone who graduated from Emerson in 2009, everything you just said makes perfect sense to me because there's much more of a campus now than there was before. I feel more of a sense of community here this semester than that's when I was here. here. Yeah, and, and and that's not a you know a knock on what Emerson was, but it's really a positive to what Emerson's becoming. And of course, Boston itself, so many students are coming here and hopefully every college right. is trying to create that community, let alone the Boston community right. that everyone's right. a part of. Absolutely, and we get so many more international students students now than we got before. It's really important if you change. I was an international student in the U.S. It's really important if you change cultures and you change countries, or even if you're coming from the Midwest or from the West Coast, to be embraced and to have this sense of welcome. So that's kind of what we are trying to build. So back to this book itself, Reclaiming Conversation. You were part of the selection process to choose this text. Obviously, you're greatly involved um, with this text this semester. Why did it stand out to you? When I read the book, it really caught my attention because it touches on some of the issues that I was thinking about or even talking to other people, talking to other faculty. When we choose a book, we try to choose a book that conveys some ideas, some basic ideas for the whole school that kind of unify. As you know, we have many different programs here in the School of Communication going from speech pathology all the way to marketing, journalism, sports communication, public relations. So we try to find a book that speaks to a variety of audiences and a variety of communication disciplines. Uh, and this book really jumped at us. And I recommended the book to the chairs, to the department chairs and the faculty representatives. I gave them copies of the book and we all read the book. And we really felt over the summer and these conversations that we had, we felt like the book was touching on issues that seem really important to us. And it resonated with us for a variety of reasons. I think we are growing. If you think about listening, uh, and, and we talk about empathy uh, being a big part of the communication process. If you think about listening and about storytelling, storytelling being another one that uh, kind of unifies the school of communication because it touches on so many different aspects of the process. So listening and storytelling are really the ways in which we learn how to be human, how to interact with people, how to respond, how to have a, a relationship with people. So, And the fact that so much of our interactions with people are, are mediated not now by technology 
is taking away that firsthand of ex- experience of actually having a conversation, uh, being able to look at somebody in the face and guess by their reactions how they are reacting to the stories that you're telling or how what kind of things they are thinking about as they are talking to you. Um, and then this is what... This is the way that we learn when we are kids to interact with people and the way it's a really important part of the growth process as a human being. And we all felt that we are losing some of that because of technology in some ways, because so much of what we do and so many ways in which we communicate are mediated by technology, we are losing the the opportunity to really interact with people. So I think the book resonated with all of us. Uh, We also asked younger people to read the book uh, and ask their opinions about it. Uh, And the the ideas in the book seem to resonate with them as well. So we thought it would be the ideal book for this second year that we are doing this first year experience. I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but I'm guessing that given the climate of the U.S. and the world right now, not only for all the reasons that you just mentioned, was this book a good choice, but I think like right now specifically, this probably was a very good choice. Yes, I agree with you. I think for it, it speaks to the moment that we are living in. It's very timely. Uh, we talked last year about bridging gaps uh, in communication. So, so one of the roles of communication is to bridge gaps in society, to bring people together. So building bridges and not walls is one of the things that we talked about a lot last year. Uh, so this also applies to this particular book and this particular particular uh, experience that we have this year, uh, which is the role of communication and actually bringing people together and not tearing people apart. So in order to do that, the School of Communication, one of the initiatives as part of using this uh, Reclaiming Conversation text as part of the uh, fall first year initiative for uh, students at Emerson College, there are these device-free conversation zones around campus, the idea to give students and, and anyone else who's interested a designated space where they can unplug and engage with one another. Throughout the semester, I've seen these signs. I've seen people in different areas of uh, uh, the Walker Building, where we are right now specifically. How has that been rolled out and what are the results that you've seen with this initiative? That's a really good question because, and I'm glad that you noticed that and you noticed the posters. It's one of the things over the summer, as I said, I brought a group of faculty together to discuss the book, to discuss some of the ways in which we could incorporate the lessons in the book not only to the classes, but we wanted to do something that had an impact on the campus. So we came up with this idea of having conversation zones. These are device-free, non-mediated conversation zones. So we are asking the students at certain times uh, when we make reservations for these spaces to put down their devices and really engage in conversation. And we, the book comes with a study guide, so to speak, which is conversation guides And we laminated, we put them around the tables and we asked the students to really, if they need some prompts, they can use the guide that came with the book. But it's really, uh, we want to offer these spaces specifically for conversation. So there are no, there, there is no agenda. Uh, there are no necessarily topics that they have to talk about. We just want them to 
be able to find a space where they can put their devices down and engage in conversation. Besides the conversation zones that you see across the campus, we also designated some tables in the dining center as conversation tables. So we have the same material on the tables. And the students, I asked to put down their devices while they're having a meal, lunch or dinner or breakfast, and engage with each other in conversation. And what we heard from the students is that those conversation zones gave them a good excuse to actually meet people because they can come at those particular times or any time that they have a break and they can sit down and they can study. But also, if somebody approaches, they can actually engage in conversation without feeling awkward about it because that particular table or that particular space was designed for that. So I think that is resonating with, with the students. Also, as I said, we have the classroom experience. So different professors in different departments have adopted the book as part of their classes, as part of their curricula, and they are using different chapters and different excerpts of the book to have conversations in class. And what I heard back from the professors is that a lot of the themes in the book, again, are resonating with the students because it might be things that they have thought about or didn't know how to articulate, and the book articulates in a really a good way, or it could be things that necessary they don't necessarily agree with, which also provides a lot of uh, food for thought or food for discussion in the classroom. Everything we've talked about so far has been kind of like, that all sounds great. Like who would oppose more conversation? Who would oppose reclaiming conversation in a world that we've already discussed, you know, politically, lots of divisiveness out there in lots of different ways. Technology is preventing these face-to-face one-on-one conversations or even four-on-four conversations, you know, at a table as you've just described. But one of the things that the book does highlight is that there's about a 40% drop in empathy among college students over the last decade. In your mind, I'm wondering how you think it is that, you know, personally, today's college students, I've heard them described as the most connected, the most accepting group to ever attend four-year institutions in the United States. But how could that group generate this kind of negative growth and empathy? I think it's um, not only disappointing to hear that, but I'm a little puzzled to hear that actually myself. I think it could be the case where people are sensitive to other needs needs of the of other people, but they are not necessarily being empathetic in the way, in a traditional way, in terms of being able to put themselves in somebody else's shoes fully. I think well, one of the things that social media and technology in general uh, has done is it makes us more self-absorbed. So I think the, and if you think about it, the more self-absorbed absorbed you are, the more difficult will be for you to actually fully put yourself in somebody else's shoes, which is what empathy is about. The good news is that through her research, uh, Cheryl Turkle found out that when she's looking at, for example, middle school or high school kids, they seem to be two or three years behind in their development of empathy. 
And that's not necessarily a huge gap. And it still can, you know, through some exercises and some reflection and things like reading uh, and discussing and having conversations, that empathy gap, she says, that it can be completely overcome and bridged, which is good news. And we are trying to focus on the good news. But also, one of the things she talks about in the book is the need for reflection, self-reflection. So being self-absorbed in terms of being completely involved in your own bubble doesn't mean necessarily that you're self-reflective. It doesn't mean that you're having deep thoughts about the universe and your role in, in the universe and how you fit into the big scheme of things and, you know, how you process information. So, uh, we have to stimulate and we have to encourage people to be more self-reflective. And it's part of the virtuous cycle that she talks about. So instead of focusing on the negative aspects involved with technology, how can we create a new cycle that is more of a virtuous cycle, not a vicious cycle, in which you start with reflection, you move on to conversation, and then you move even further to the, the way you interact with other people in society. And that's where the role of empathy comes to play uh, as well. So you can move from, in, in the words of Thoreau, which she uses in the book, having one chair, which is for yourself, to sit with your thoughts. How many times do we do that, really? Well, we sit by ourselves and think about issues or think about who we are and, you know, how we fit into things. And then by knowing ourselves, we can prepare ourselves to have conversations one-on-one with people, the two chairs that Thoreau talks about and she talks about right on the, the cover of the book yeah right exactly and then you move on and once you have conversations that uh, give you the ability and the preparedness to listen and to be empathetic you can put a, a third chair or a fourth or a fifth and have group conversations and be able to interact with people in a way that is civil and they're not yelling and you're not being completely shocked and offended by everything they say. You are kind of prepared because you know who you are. So you, you, there is no point in really being offended by everything that somebody says or feeling like you have to react in a physical way or in a negative way when somebody says something that is completely against what you believe in. You just can engage them in conversations. So that's kind of what one of the one of the points that we are emphasizing and one of the things that we are talking about. By knowing yourself and who you are and what you believe in, what your values are, what your ethics are, you won't feel so threatened about everything that is going around you and you'll be able and be better prepared to engage with it. I really want to focus on what you've just mentioned here. It's got me thinking. I've been a little self-reflexive while you've been talking, um, which cannot always be good because you don't want to give the other person their their due, but it, it's really jogged something in my memory. I'm from the Midwest, and I did some traveling over the summer, and um, long story short, I don't have a great relationship with my own parents, and so a lot of my friends' parents in my small rural town kind of raised me, and when I go back, I almost want to see them more than my, my own friends because I have such great memories of them looking out for me. I had some really deep deep conversations with people about their voting records and their political beliefs, mm-hmm. just because that's the type of thing I want to talk about. Yeah, I yeah. haven't seen one for 10 years. And they told me some things that would have really offended a lot of people, but I took it in a way that they were being honest and I just wanted to hear them out. 
Emerson is a very, very progressive school. You know, mm. we're not letting the cat out of the bag. Yeah, it's it's yeah. known for that. It was like that when I'm here. It feels like even more so that I've been here this semester, um, 10 years basically since I graduated. Where is the line? And and how do you instruct students and professors to have that conversation and allow people to to be open about their beliefs? And as you just mentioned, having other people be, uh, I, I believe you talked about being confident in their own values and their own beliefs so that they're not maybe automatically or not deeply offended by that. H- how do you navigate that? That's yeah. hard. These are really fundamentals uh, of what we teach here. And they are really critical skills that we are trying to build. So uh, I think you have the listening skills uh, and, and we try to impart that in everything that we do. Uh, the, the ability to actually connect with people on a deeper level and be able to be empathetic and listen to them and reflect on what they're saying before you react. The other thing is knowing yourself and why you believe. So we want people to be critical thinkers in terms of bringing a variety of sources and a variety of aspects of of issues and information to the table so that they can be prepared not only to argue about what they know and what they believe in, but also being able to counter-argue or know why they believe in A and not B on a deeper level so that they have arguments to have a conversation. Uh, so it's not only the issue, not necessarily of, um, you know, having a conversation for the sake of having a conversation, but really being open to even changing your mind in some ways because you you are receiving somebody else's experience that be can be completely different from your experience. So we are asking the students to be more engaging, more self-reflexive, but also being kind of more critical in their thinking, uh, going deeper than the surface and going really into the gist of things, you know, and, and having arguments, not only for themselves, but being able to have engage in a in a enlightened conversation or a political conversation or a social uh, setting and situation without being frightened, without being scared of being offended, but, you know, being able to listen and being able to engage and being able to have their own opinions. That all being the case, I'm really interested in, in how you would describe the difference um, from when you were a student to when you were a professor to where you are now here as the dean of the School of Communication here at Emerson College, how has this operation, this process of having communication between student to student, uh, faculty to student, faculty to faculty, I mean, there's so many dimensions. How have you seen that that's changed in your time? The big change for me, uh, I remember being in college uh, for the first time. I, I had a very sheltered upbringing and, and went to a public, a huge public university uh, where I was in contact with people who are very different from me and my background and my political beliefs. And I think there is a natural element. You kind of 19, 20, you're trying to, um, you believe very passionately about things because it's part of defining who you are and your character. You're trying to define who you are. So all of a sudden you're exposed to those ideas that might be different and you're kind of grabbing on to something and it's part of the process to be passionate. So I don't think that has changed. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. We are asking people to go a little beyond that, to go a little beyond the headlines to the real facts. But 
At the same time, the biggest change that I have seen is the addition of technology to the mix. We are now able to be exposed to so much more information and data than we ever have been in our lives. So, and I think that's what everybody's questioning, the effect that that exposure is having on kids as they are growing up towards you know, the time they're in college and in young adulthood, uh, what is the effect? So that's what everybody's trying to get at, including this book, is what are some of the effects of this technology and uh, what are some of the ways in which we can counterbalance that effect in a more po- or turn that in a more positive way? So I wouldn't say that, I would say that the essence of being a young person, what a young person is, hasn't changed really from the time I was a student to now. What has changed is the addition of technology has kind of upset the balance, so to speak, because of the immediacy and because of the amount of information. We thought when I was growing up that having, you know, going from five to 50 channels was a huge change in your life. And you look now at the internet and all the data that people have access to and the information and the immediacy of the information. Of course, there are a lot of positive aspects to that, but we are trying to get at some of the negative aspects and ways in which we can counterbalance those. Well, Raul, it's been great speaking with you. It's not every day I get to interview the Dean of the School of Communications. So thank you so much. And and I do want to give you a chance for final thoughts. Anything we might have missed before we say goodbye? No, I, I think it has been a pleasure talking to you. And, and also it gave me an opportunity to talk about and reflect on these issues for myself. And I think the uh, I want to go back to the idea of community. And one of the reasons why we are having even this conversation and this podcast is the fact that we are trying to build really a better community, a more engaged community, uh, uh, you know, uh, more empathy and and all these uh, values and more ethics and ethical behavior and decision making. Uh, and I think this is really what we are continuing to do and will continue to do, to do with not only this book and this project, but other projects that we are doing in the school. It's all about building a better community and preparing the students to be uh, to be the builders of a better world. Campus on the Common is a production of the School of Communication at Emerson College. Subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Emerson College alumnus and podcasting professor Chance Dorland.